in the back hallway of our Apple Valley campus here, uh, there's a painting. It's by my office, and it's a very significant painting. It's not the world's greatest uh, painting. It's not done by a uh, maestro that just put a work of art, but it's made by someone significant in our life, and I think it's a pretty great painting. It's uh, painted by my father-in-law, and uh, we have it on display for a couple reasons, because it's a wonderful story about the love of Jesus, and also, he said, if I didn't display it, he would write me out of the will. How many know that's important to, you know, do that? No, I'm just kidding, but he did paint it, and uh, he painted uh, this uh, painting called Creation of Man Revisited, Who's Holding Your Hand? And you can go ahead and show a picture of that. And in that, he depicts the love of God the Father. And he said, there's a giant heart. And he said, it's the enormous heart of God. And when he painted this, uh, they live in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. He actually was able to display it at the community center, make a little uh, gospel presentation with it, and present it to the community and share his faith. And I thought it was neat. And then he said, I'd love to give it to you and have you display it at the church. So we gladly did that. He's used it as a witnessing tool. And I think it's very creative. There's one thing you may not have noticed in the painting. In the lower right-hand corner, it's his signature. You'll see that P-A-L, Paul Allen Larson. And every work of art that he does, and trust me, his, heart, his house is filled with works of art, every one of them has his signature on that. And every artist, every artist, when they're done with a painting, when they're done with it, when they finally say the last stroke has been put on there, the last thing of paint, it's good. I want it to be examined. I want to reveal it to the public. Let them examine it. They put their signature there. And I want to tell you, in the creation account, I believe that God put his signature moment on mankind. I believe at that moment, the Bible tells us that when he created mankind, that he stopped all of creation. And he said, it's very good. It's time to rest. It's good. And we are his signature item. We are the signature of creation. In Genesis 1:27, we get a glimpse into this moment. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Three times it says created, created, created. God created us and he created us in his image. It means that we're different than everything else. We are created with a consistency with God. It means that there's an unabridged gap between us and all of the animal kingdom. Although there are biological similarities between us and the animals, he said after all that creation, man was created in his image. It's different. And just to settle this so you know, there will be animals in heaven. Dogs will be there. Cats will not. Just want to make sure you know that. Okay? Uh, we need to be kind to all animals, and the Bible does say that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they treat their animals, so we want to be kind to all animals. But I do want to tell you, there is a difference between us and animals. There's a difference. We were created in his image. It means that we have a personality, knowledge, feelings. We have a will. We have morality. We can make moral judgments. We have a conscience. We have spirituality. We have the ability to connect with God, the creator, the artist. We are there. We have a, an ability to reflect uh, his likeness in a limited way. And being made in his image means that we have value. Yeah. Being made in his image means that we have worth. 
The world looks at it and says, well, do you have the right family? Do you live in the right place? Can you add to the bottom line? Do you have a meaningful life? And they look at all these things and God says, because you are created in my image, you have value. We reflect the image of God. And Christianity is all about image. Not in the way that hipsters would say or not in the way for those of you that are older that know Andre Agassi had that commercial, image is everything. No, no, I'm saying we're created in his image and that is so important. We are created in his image, we are disfigured with the fall of man and we are in desperate need of renewal. And that's why God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, to pay the price for our sins so that we could be renewed because we are made in his image and we have value. That's why when I read in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And with that, when I read scriptures like this, and when I see that we're created in his image, I can tell you this right now, all life is precious. All life is precious. And I wanna let you know that this weekend marks a, a time where we remember the sanctity of human life. I believe in 1973, tragically, our Supreme Court made a wrong decision in Roe v. Wade. And on January 22nd of that year, they legalized abortion in our country. And since then, 55 million abortions have taken place. And I believe those children were created in the image of Jesus Christ. They were created in the image of God. They have value. And it's so sad that this tragedy has happened. I want to make it very clear as a congregation what we believe. We are very clearly pro-life. We are for the unborn. And I understand that one-third, yeah, you, you can clap on that if you want. Now, I understand, I understand that one-third of women, 45 and under, have had an abortion. I understand that. Matter of fact, in the lobby of our church, I had women coming up to me crying and say, I, I did that, but I thank God for forgiveness. I understand that. I know there's pain. I know there's regret. I know there was some ignorance in it. I know there was pressure in that decision. I know that. But I want you to know we live and serve a God that gives forgiveness, that is rich in mercy. We serve a God that says all things can be forgiven if you ask for forgiveness. We're going to preach about this, though, and made in his image because he's the artist. He's the creator. He's made us in his image. And we want to preach about this to prevent future pain. We want to preach about that. It was driven home, of course, by these ladies that have come up to me in the lobby even this weekend, but also when our boys turned 13 years old, we did this as parents. We had a moment where we just set aside a day by their 13th birthday and we let our boys pick men in the church that they respected, pastors and leaders and neighbors and people that they looked up to. We had a birthday party for them just with those leaders. And in that moment, those leaders would speak into our boy's life and they would say one admirable quality. They'd say, y'all, you're so compassionate or whatever they saw in our child. And they'd speak life into them. And they'd say, don't ever lose that. Then they'd give a warning from their life. Some would say, you know, don't ever uh, be dishonest at work. I did, I lost my job. I almost went to jail. Be a man of integrity. Others said, you know, respect this. Don't get caught up in alcohol. Don't do this. And another one of them, one of our pastors 
said to our boys, he said, live sexually pure. He said, I didn't as a teenager. He said, I didn't know Jesus then, but I didn't live sexually pure. And a girl that I was dating got pregnant. And he goes, and I'm ashamed to say this, but I pressured her to have an abortion. I paid for that abortion. And he said, and every day I think about it now, I should have a child about your age. And he said, it grieves me and I'm begging you to live sexually pure. I had never personally been there in the moment where someone had confessed this and it hit me and I saw the pain and I saw the anguish that was there with the tears. It wasn't something that he just flippantly said. It was there and it made me realize that there's pain, that there's hurt here, but we're gonna have to preach about this to prevent that future pain. And I love what he said. He said, you know what? He said, the pain dissolves over time. He said, but please don't follow in my footsteps. And the women that I've hugged in this weekend at, after church, they said, the pain does dissolve over time, but please tell people not to follow in our footsteps. We're made in his image. We are made in his image. Life is precious. We are only one of four countries in the entire world that allows people to have an abortion at any time. I think that's sad to be a leader in the world in that category, one of four that says at any time. We were made in his image, and we want to look at the Bible and say, when does life start? We want to look at science and say, when does life start? We want to look at logic and say, when does life start? Jeremiah 1.5 says this, God was speaking, and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Our creator here in this account says, I was forming you, Jeremiah. There was a blank canvas and as an artist looks at a blank canvas, I had the end in mind. I knew what you were gonna look like. I saw that, and as I started to paint your life in the womb, I knew who you were gonna be, and I ordained you to be a prophet. He said, when there was a blank canvas, I knew the work of art that was created there, and you have value. The account of Luke chapter one that we read at Christmas time all the time, it's the story of Mary and Elizabeth. We know that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. We know that Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And we hear this account many times at Christmas, but it's very appropriate now. The Bible says in Luke 1:41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 44, she's telling Mary about this. She said, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I wanna point out two things. First of all, the word that's used for baby there is the same word as infant. The Bible distinguishes uh, a baby that has not yet been born and a baby that is born as the same thing, same word. Matter of fact, it's interesting. Elizabeth was basically saying, I have someone else in me, a living human being, because she said, when you came here, the baby leaped. She didn't say, when you came near me, I leaped. She said, when you came near me, the baby leaped. There was a, a distinct human being that was there. There's a careful reading of the word of God says baby, living, child, known, created in the image of God, life, eternal soul with value, precious art, precious art. And the artist is saying, this is my artwork. This is my signature. I was on a plane and when I fly on planes, I... When I'm sitting next to somebody, I always pray this little prayer, Lord, Lord, if you want me to speak to this person, open up a door, and uh, I will speak to them the whole flight if that's what you want. If not, I've got a book to read, you know, and I'll, I'll focus on that, do that. And I'm sitting next to this lady, and she started talking, so I thought, this is an open door, we're going to talk. And uh, as she was talking, I found out that she works at a museum, she's passionate about art, 
and just loves art. And so, you know, I'm just trying to connect, right, and have a shared moment. So I said, you know, I've been to the Louvre and I've been to the Hermitage, you know, kind of connecting right there, like, I know about art too. And uh, <laughs> she goes, oh, isn't the Hermitage horrifying? And I was like, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, I liked it. There was a lot of cool artwork. She goes, no, no, no. Isn't it horrifying that they have the art in Russia, not in air-conditioned rooms? Isn't it horrifying that it's not perfectly in the right humidity, that they just leave the windows open? Isn't it horrifying that they allow fluorescent light on the artwork? They're destroying the art. We need to rescue the art. Protect the art. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. You, you should protect the art, you know? But it got me to thinking. As believers in Jesus Christ, shouldn't we say, it's horrifying. 55 million babies. Let's protect the art. The artist says, this is my masterpiece. It was created in my image. I, I had a purpose and a plan. Before there was anything on the canvas, I knew what I wanted it to be. Let's protect the art. If she can be that passionate about protecting the art in the Hermitage, I believe we can up our passion to say, God, let's protect your art. Now, this is not a, a political issue, really. And I know someone's like, well, that feels kind of a little political. It's really not. It's the church's issue that our government is trying to steal away. It's the church's issue. It really is. It's a spiritual life or death issue, and that's why it belongs to us. And so we're not really meddling. They're meddling with us. And I've got to tell you this, that the art belongs to the creator, and we have to protect this. It's priceless. And I believe that it's under attack. And I'm going to say this. I believe that healthcare in the United States is, is broken. It needs to be fixed. It's great. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been to communist countries and socialist countries, and our healthcare is amazing. I'm just going to tell you, I've been there. I've been in Russia where I walked in with somebody on our team that had a broken ankle and it's everybody's supposed to get free care. And when they saw me, they said, do you have cash? I said, I got cash. They said, come to the front of the line. Oh, really? Everybody's being treated the same? I got to the front of the line. I got special treatment. I got brought to the clean room. I got put with the doctor that takes care of the Olympics. And he said, hey, if you pay me $20 a week, I'll take care of you guys all week, your whole team. I'll like, be your personal doctor. So I've seen that. And I know I've been to Cuba where Michael Moore said that hospital was great. I've been there. Do you know in that hospital, do you know you may not know this, People on the floors of that hospital where he says healthcare is so great, they shout their floor. They say, eight, eight, eight. You know, ocho, ocho, ocho. You know what they're screaming? Because the elevator button is broken. They can't, they can't even pay to fix the elevator button in that hospital that he said was so good. And so as you're going up, they're hoping that you'll hear them on your way down and push eight and stop and let them on the elevator. Okay? So, but I know ours is broken. But I don't think it's right in our healthcare to mandate that all people have to pay for abortions. I understand that in our government, that our government has said, this is the law. I get that. And we're being civil in saying we disagree with it. But I think it's wrong for our government to say that we all have to pay for abortions. And there's one group that you need to pray for. There's one group. Yep. There's one group that you need to pray for, the Green family. They own the Hobby Lobby and many different companies. And they've just stood and they said, come on, there's got to be a better way for doing healthcare. We're Christians. We believe life starts at conception. We just can't go along with this. You've got to give us an exemption. We'll pay for healthcare for our employees, but you've got to give us an exemption in this. 
And they've, the government has said, no, we're not going to give you an exemption. So Hobby Lobby has said, we're not paying. And every day they're being fined $1.3 million. Every day when 2013 hit, they're being fined $1.3 million. Now, I want to put this in context. The Green family is by far the largest giver to the things of Jesus Christ. They have given over $500 million to the cause of Jesus Christ. They, are, they're there. they live on 2% of their income and give 98% away, largest givers in the United States. They went around secretly buying up Bible artifacts, and they were on a mission for several years and bought all these things up because they wanted to preserve the Bible in society. Then they said, we're going to build a museum to protect the Bible. Where should we build it? They bought some of the most expensive real estate in the United States in Washington, D.C. They said, if that's where the Smithsonian is, that's where we're going to put the Bible museum. And so they're trying to protect this. And they said, we just believe life begins at conception. Please don't make us pay for this. You may say it's a choice. We say it's life, and we don't want to pay for this. And I believe this this is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and I believe they need our prayers. This is a civil thing that they're saying. We're not going to do this. We want you to hear our case. We need you to hear our case. We believe life begins at conception, and we don't want to go along with this. So I ask for your prayers for them, and I agree with what Rick Warren said when he was summarizing about the Greens. He said, today, the government has tried to reinterpret the First Amendment from freedom to practice your religion to a more narrow freedom to worship, which would limit your freedom to an hour a week you're at the house of worship. This is not only a subversion of the Constitution, it is nonsense. Any religion that cannot be lived out at home and at work is nothing but a meaningless ritual. And that agrees with what the Bible says. The Bible says we're the salt of the earth. If you can imagine, this is the salt shaker. But the Bible says to get out from here and be the salt. Don't just stay in the salt shaker. We're not religion for just one hour. We're the salt of the earth. And we're not to add flavor because we use salt like flavor. We are a preserving agent. When the Bible talks about salt, it means a preserving agent to keep things from rotting. You and I are supposed to be out there as the preserving agent to society saying we can't go down a rotten trail we're to be the salt and help the world see that there's a better way. And so we need to pray for them. We need to pray that our leaders will see that we should be able to practice our religion outside of the church and everywhere we go. Now let's look at biology real quick as we have just a few moments today. Biology says this in Basics of Biology. A living thing is highly organized. A living thing has an ability to acquire materials and energy. All living things have an ability to respond to their environment. All living things have an ability to reproduce. All living things have an ability to adapt. And by that definition, a conceived child is living. A conceived child is a living being. Listen to this quote. Biologically, from the moment of conception, this new human being is not a part of the mother's body. Listen to that. The mother is actually hosting a new living being. And it says, since when does a mother's body have male genitals, two brains, and four kidneys? Think about that for a minute. The preborn human being may be dependent upon the mother for nutrition. However, this does not diminish his or her humanity, but proves it. Moreover, dependence on a, upon a parent for survival is not a capital crime. Whether it's a preborn baby or a newborn baby, it still is dependent upon the mother and the father for nutrition and for care. It's a living being. 
At the average time when a woman is aware that she is pregnant, the fifth or sixth week after conception, the preborn human being living inside her is metabolizing nutrition, excreting waste, moving, sucking his or her thumb, growing and doing many other things that non-living things just do not do. As early as 21 days after conception, the baby's heart has begun to beat his or her own unique blood type, often different from the mother's. Think about that. At 40 days after conception, brain waves can be read on an EEG. Think about this. Biology says that this is a living being. You think about the ultrasounds. And I want to show a picture of an ultrasound here. You see a picture of an ultrasound here upon the screen. If you could take a look, there's the baby right there. That is a little baby that is in the womb of its mother. And in case you didn't notice, if you see the name in the upper corner, it's our campus pastors here, Justin and Tara Mack. Yes. They're having a baby, all right? Another one. And that wasn't their main announcement. It had already been out, all right? Just so you know. (laughs) But how neat is that? That's a baby. That's a living baby in there. Professors from all different universities said this. The leader of the pediatrics and obstetrics at the University of Pennsylvania said this. I've learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. There is human life at every stage. A professor from the Mayo Clinic said this. By all the criteria of modern molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. A professor from Harvard, a reputable school, said, it is incorrect to say that biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. Our laws, one function of which is to help preserve the lives of our people, should be based on an accurate scientific data. It's true. Now, the sad thing about this is, you may not know this, in the law of our land, Whenever our judges can't decide where the law should break, should it break for the powerful or for those that are not in power? Should it break for those that are the victims or those that look like they have strength? They always err. The precedent in our law is to always err on the side of those that cannot defend themselves. It's been our precedent. But in the case of Roe v. Wade, they went and said, well, it could be a little baby. We're not sure, but we're going to vote for the powerful. We're going to vote for those in power, not for those that have no voice. And they went against precedent. And here's what I believe our Supreme Court did wrong. They said, we don't know where life begins. So because we don't know where it begins, we're just going to allow abortion to be the law of the land. I believe the right ruling would have been, we're not certain where life begins. And because we're not certain where it begins, we're not going to allow this. We're going to err on the side of protecting rather than err on the side of liberality. And I believe that they did a wrong decision. Now, we need to say this no matter what our leaders say. Children are a gift from God. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So what can we do with the art? How can we protect the art? How can we protect with the art that God says is made in his image? Well, here's what we can do. We can let our leaders know in a civil way, in a civil way that we believe life begins at conception. We can tell them we want to save the art. We can adopt. And I can tell you this, I'm so excited. Uh, One of our deacons, this couple, they just adopted a young baby and they were so excited. 
I tell you what, Becca and I are godparents to two beautiful little girls that were adopted in our church, Lucy and Becca, and they're just adorable. And it's a privilege to be able to be in their life and be there to pray for them and to help raise them in the ways of the Lord. They were adopted. We can do that as a congregation, as individuals. We can give to pro-life organizations because River Valley does that. We do give to pro-life organizations. And it's interesting that if you say, well, I want to start a foundation to help starving artists, people will say, oh, good for you. You say, well, I want to give to save the art, the unborn made in his image. And the world will be like, ooh, who will protect the art? We have to. We're the ones that have to protect the art. We can spread the truth in love. Please hear me out. We will not become a rock-throwing, funeral-protesting person at all. That's not us. We're going to do this in love. And we are going to ask that the love of Jesus Christ will win people over. Truth with love mixed in with a whole lot of grace. We're going to speak the truth in love mixed in with a whole lot of grace. We can do that. Another thing we can do is be directly involved and serve at many of the crisis pregnancy centers. And we think it's a wonderful thing to serve and go out and be involved with these ministries. And one more thing, we can pray. And prayer is important. Prayer is very important. And I want to tell you about something that could be a great reminder to you for prayer. There's a wonderful app that you can download on your smartphone. It's 714. That's the app. You could look for it, 714. And it's based on the scripture that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. And the scripture reference is 714. So they thought it'd be great to put this app in there, 714. And you can go ahead and have that app there. And I have a reminder set at 714. And so my phone will just beep, 714. And it just says, remember to pray. And so I stop and pray for the arch. I stop and pray for those yet to be born. I stop and pray for our country and our leaders and I take that moment and it's a great reminder and we can pray, God help us to save the art. So I encourage you to do that. And another neat thing about that app is in that moment when you pray, you say, I've prayed now and there's an interactive map that shows all across the United States when somebody's prayed and all of a sudden it pops up. Somebody just prayed in California. Somebody just prayed in Delaware. Somebody just prayed in Minnesota. Somebody just prayed. It's the coolest thing and it reminds us that prayer is making a difference. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers going up. And I believe God hears the prayer. I close with this. C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere mortal and you never will. In God's eyes, there are no little people. Think about this. Everyone matters to him because his image is in each person, small or great, rich or poor, young or old, educated or illiterate, healthy or sick, strong or weak, and his thoughtful care extends from the moment of conception till the moment they breathe their last breath. We are made in the image of God. Everyone is important to him. Everyone is valuable. And I want you to do this right now. Will you look around the room at the people around you for just a moment? I give you permission. Look around at the people to your right, to your left, in front of you, behind you. Look at them. Everyone is different. Everyone is unique. That means you have a unique value. You are an individual masterpiece. And I've learned this about wealthy and affluent people. I couldn't understand why they like to collect art and different things. Now I get it. They like to collect things that are one of a kind. 
because then they have it and no one else does. It's special, it's unique, it's one of a kind. Can I tell you this? Your heavenly father says you are unique, you are art, you are valuable, every one of you. Somebody may have told you you didn't matter. Somebody may have told you that you don't amount to much. That is a lie. You are unique, you are priceless, you are a work of art and God sent his son to die for you and he says you're valuable. He says, you are made in my image. You are made for relationship. You are of great worth. You are of great worth. And if you could believe this, he's like the greatest collector of art. He's the greatest collector of art. And he said, not only that, I paid the greatest price. I sent my son to die to pay the greatest price. There's nothing higher that could be ever paid for you. You're that valuable to God. And I pray that you'll recognize the great masterpiece that you are and the great masterpiece that every individual is. We must protect the art. So God, I pray right now that you would help us to realize that, that it would sink in deep. Let it sink in deep. We are a masterpiece. We're created in your image. We know that we have shortcomings. We know that we have sin. We know how bad we are. We can't believe that you would even love us. But we know that we're made in your image, that we're art, we're created. And you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us and pay the price so we could be forgiven. God, help that to sink in deep. And God, help us. Help us to protect the art. I don't want us to be obnoxious, God, but I pray that we'd be passionate to protect the art. And on every opportunity, do good. On every opportunity, be the salt that we've been called to be. Get out of the shaker and get out of the world and preserve a world that so desperately needs to know that they are created in your image. And God, lastly, I pray for those that have been a part of this. There's no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. There's a guilt and a remorse for the things that they've done. But Lord Jesus, when you forgave them, when they asked for that forgiveness, it was taken care of. It was covered. And now I pray that that pain would turn into purpose. And they take that pain and use it for a cause to say, I will protect the art from this day forward. I thank you for that forgiveness. I thank you for that forgiveness. And turn the pain into purpose. Thank you for that. Now help us, Lord, as we leave here to realize that we are created in your image. We have great value because we are in your image. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.